Heavenly Father, thank you for the Lord Jesus, our Saviour. Thank you that he has warned us to listen already this morning. And I pray that you would show us by your Holy Spirit things we have not seen before in these scriptures that are all about him. In Jesus' name, amen. God loves you. What God? What love? What you? This is causing Christians in this country a lot of trouble. Didn't used to cause Christians trouble down the ages and across the world. There are definite reasons why we've begun to doubt or confuse each bit of that simple sentence. And the passage today shines sunshine into all our clouds and confusion. But like anything that brings light, there will be uncomfortable things for us this morning. It's hard sometimes to see what we're like, even if that light brings clarity to the things that we feel doubtful and pained about. We are going to touch today on that very publicly discussed issue in the Church of England, the gender of God. We're going to talk about what coming out for love really means. We're going to ask whether the you do you, love yourself, this is me. You know, anyone know that one? That bit where someone comes out in The Greatest Showman and I think it's a bearded lady who does it at that moment. Yeah, anyway, like all that stuff. Whether the kind of, you know, this is who I am, you have to deal with it, Twitter, the world. Whether all those mantras of our age really deliver on everything that they promise. We're going to talk about loneliness and disappointment in love and relationships. Talk about confusion about who we really are. Particularly when others load on expectations that we can't live up to. And we're going to address the self-absorption, the goblin mode, the I'm in love with me culture that's becoming normal in our society. Genesis 2 shows us what God, the God-man who models us on himself. The God-man who models us on himself. That's verse 18 to 23. So verse 18, follow if you've got it on a phone or a Bible, that'll help you. Then the Lord God said, it's not good for the man to be alone. I will make a helper who's just right for him. Straight away, love this translation, New Living, it's good, it's nice and accessible, but it's not I, it's not I will make, it's let us make, just like Genesis 1. It's as if this is the bit where humanity really gets going in the kind of double take that Genesis 2 gives us after Genesis 1. So Moses says, you know that summary we had in chapter 1, verse 26, 27, where it's let us make man in our image. Okay, this is the bit where that actually happens. The bits before were the warm-up, really, about, you know, forming from clay and breathing life into Adam's nostrils. Bit of a strange image, but last week. And straight away, we can see this. If you look at uh, the oldest version of the Bible that we have, this is the first time we get the name of God showing up. So you see Lord God, Lord God, Lord God, all the way back through. Actually, that only happens in verse 18 
in the oldest bits of the Bible we have. And that specifically, when you see capital letters Lord, that's his name. That's like kind of Jesus, really, you know, Yahweh, Lord saves. So this is when it starts to be a conversation, a relationship between the humans and the Lord God. And he, one, is us, many. Just like this he, Adam, is male and female, mysteriously, but one. This is something the church fathers talk a lot about. We have to believe that at this moment, the man, Adam, contains within himself, and they do say him, all the potential for every human, which means male and female. In a mysterious way, the Lord God, the one Lord God, is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. We're about to see two separate parts of humanity that belong together. But before they get separated, they just are together. The feminine is concealed secretly and mysteriously within the masculine. And this is where all the gender in God stuff gets confused. We think because of Genesis 3 that to use the word him is immediately to say men are better than women or that men somehow are superior or above. We go for gender neutrality, flattening everything to make sure that we're not saying men are better than women. But Genesis 2 shows us that that neutrality creates a new problem because we are trying to read back up into God something that he sends down and teaches us how to do. We're trying to come up with our own way of doing something that confronts us all the time. We are constantly needing to bring things that are many, that are separate, that are distinct, that are complicated, that don't have any sort of higher meaning that makes sense of them, into one thing. So we do that when we talk about individual humans and humanity, don't we? We talk about all of humanity bringing us all together. And with God, we try and do that. We say we can't be a gender because that would be unfair because there's two genders. So we, we just have to kind of call him God's self or, you know, some weird extra concept that we don't get from the Bible. The only way it's possible to make sense of the world is by dividing things up into individual things. That's what the first week of creation is about. We've got light and darkness, the waters above and the waters below, sea and land, sun, moon, stars, fish, birds, humans and animals. Things have to be what they are and not something else. We can't just say one part of the universe did something else to another part of the universe while something, another part of the universe was shining down on it and another part of the universe was, you know, twiddling its thumbs or something. It doesn't make any sense, does it? We have to give things identity. But when we do that, we can't completely separate them because otherwise nothing makes any sense. They all have to be the same sort of thing. To make sense of anything, Genesis tells us again and again, we need to see everything and individual things at the same time. And when we come up with our own everything together for God, 
We turn him into a concept, not a person. We only meet men and women. We don't meet person. And God has made us like him. Just like a few weeks back when we said God is not omnipotent. Rather, the Father, the Son and the Holy Spirit do what pleases them. Jesus refuses to meet us as a concept. He meets us as a person with his Father and the Spirit. And perhaps we're struggling to understand that. So everything that Jesus does in this passage with Adam teaches us what he is like. It's not just about how men and women were created. It's about why and what that means. So here's something you may not have considered before that I would put to you. The man in 2 verse 18 is not actually Adam. And the helper is not actually Eve. The Lord God is speaking about the son who would become man. Paul and Jesus both teach us this, as does the constant description of the Lord God as a bridegroom. The Lord God is saying that this son, in order to be fully who he is, he needs a church to help him and be his bride. So the way that Adam names and then is divided into man and woman is the deepest picture of what Jesus does with the whole human race when he becomes Adam. God loves you. And this God is the God-man who models us on himself. When we begin to understand that, we learn, we've got what God, now what love and love is marriage between Jesus and his people. Once we get that what happens when Adam shows up is demonstrating what happens with Jesus, things come into focus for us. So Jesus has already named all the things in creation, the words of the Father speaking meaning into the whole of everything. So the first thing we see this copy of him doing is naming things, naming animals. Jesus allows Adam to share, this is Adam, men and women together, to share in the act of naming. This is the first and only thing that male and female humanity in one person does. So by doing this, Jesus reveals what eternity will be like. Humanity helping Jesus rule and order the cosmos. But then the whole thing kind of divides and goes into more detail. Just like the Russian doll, you know, so you've got one big thing and then you've got a smaller thing that's an exact copy. It just keeps going down like that. There's a pattern that keeps unfolding. So follow down, verse 21. We've established that there is no helper in the animal creation for this Adam, who's a picture of the sun. It's not going to be a creature created merely sort of from the top that is going to work. 
deep sleep and the Lord God causes the man to fall into a deep sleep. In the Bible, that's always a picture of death. Now, we know there's no death in the garden. The whole point is there's no death in paradise. But this, in a mysterious way, is anticipating that death would be needed to sort out what is about to go wrong. This is the strongest indication, this deep sleep, that Jesus knew what was about to happen with the tree that we've already met. And before they've even fallen, he's already promising that he's going to deal with it. So a death-like sleep falls over this man, and he is then divided in two. The rib thing is just, what is that? Like, it doesn't say rib. And, and that creates all this kind of subordination stuff, this idea that woman is kind of a little, you know, sidekick or something. Like, that, that is not what it's about. It's more like dividing in two. Taking one human and dividing it into two incomplete parts that have to come together again. And notice it's from the side, not rib, And it's described like a wound with a thing about closing up the opening. So already we're thinking, which other man had his side pierced? Key thing here is that the woman has to be made from the same stuff as the man. The one who will become her bridegroom. So we can't have God's love just being companionship or affirmation from a distance. His love must be about becoming one again in the deepest, most physical, most complete sense. So when we say God loves you, often we have in our minds a sky God who sort of showers down nice stuff that we want. You know what I mean? Oh, I I feel really loved today because I got a parking space or, you know, I I got loads of money or something like that. That's okay, but it's it's not great, is it? Like that? That's not love. Love isn't someone giving you stuff. Surely not. This way of recognizing the love of God acknowledges the things that make us most human. It makes us focus on the physicality of human relationships. Because relationship with God is not just about the mind or about giving us a nice experience. It's much more earthy and tangible. And we get a sense here that this kind of love costs something. Now it's painless for this Adam because Jesus is just showing us a picture. But we know it's not going to be painless for the second Adam to give life to his bride. It will pierce him. It will wound him. So when Adam's resurrected from his sleep, this naming of the woman that he sees immediately, bone of my bone, flesh of my flesh, she shall be called woman. Well, there's a change in him that happens. I don't know if you noticed that. So if you look at the little poem, verse 23, first poetry, there's inverted commas around woman and man. That's actually a little helpful addition from this translation because Adam is not what is 
translated by man there. Till this point, Adam, the man, has been about earth. So Adam, the word, is kind of like mud, basically. Like it's, it's, it's ground, it's dust, it's saying what he's made of. But when he gets to being man, after he's named woman, we have two words. So this is the only bit of Hebrew I'm going to do, okay? So we get isha, which is woman, and ish, which is man. And both those words, you, you may not have heard this, this is pretty mind-blowing. They're both from the word for fire. This takes us to what man and woman, now they're together, now they can look each other in the face and have a relationship. What they share. The fire of divine love, the Holy Spirit, breathed into Adam, but now dominating all his being, all his action, all his thinking. We only see humanity filled with the Spirit when they are male and female. So, verse 24, this explains why the man leaves his father and mother and is joined to his wife and the two united into one. This is the definition of what the highest love is, what a spirit-filled union is. The man leaving his father and mother, Jesus leaving the father and the spirit and being joined to his wife the church, so that they're one. We have roundly failed as a culture and a church in this country to live up to this vision. Merely human marriage has been set out as the absolute gold standard for human existence. We've arranged what man and woman are around that as well. And the result has been untold relationships with unrealistic expectations of each other. Trying to suggest that you can somehow be completely satisfied in this two, us against the world. And that means that anyone who doesn't get to share in that is consigned to crippling loneliness. Just like with God, our attempt to redefine love as only human marriage has led to division, confusion and loneliness. In the end, it just makes us self-absorbed because those of us who do get married aren't thinking of it as an opportunity to point outside of us to something else, something huge for everyone, only possible between Jesus and church. We try to contain the universe in that one relationship. All that happens is disappointment and exclusion. That's the real thing that's going on with all the gender and sexuality stuff right now. People who felt on the outside of that sinfully exclusive and idolatrous attitude to marriage have longed for fellowship and companionship and physical intimacy. But instead of the church challenging the attitude that led to people who are unmarried feeling that way, the church in this country is largely regarded anyone who doesn't join in with the idolatry of marriage as a problem. So if we've talked about what love Finally, we talk about what you. And the answer is everyone together in church, the bride. We were created for so much more than this idolatry of two people wrapped up with each other, 
to the exclusion of everybody else. Only the vision for humanity together, created to be Jesus' bride, can bring marriages, single people, families, all the sexual orientations and gender identities there are, into one family who actually love each other. There is a real sense in which men participate in being female as the bride of Christ. I think that is what is being longed for in our society. There is a real sense in which women participate in being male, whether married or unmarried, reigning with Jesus and co-heirs with him. There are deep realities to being made male and female, which we learn from Jesus and church, not from all the weird false stereotypes that non-binary people rightly challenge. Male and female derive their meaning through the relationship Jesus has with church. And that reflects even higher up, mysteriously, to the relationships of the Trinity with each other. We don't gain meaning and peace in our identity by becoming more and more self-involved. Even if that self is about finding someone who perfectly fulfills all our wants and we somehow try and do the same for them. We become truly ourselves when we join with church in being married to Jesus. And the last bit, verse 25. Now the man and his wife were both naked. They felt no shame. This vision for reality, this vision we were created for, that doesn't depend on us finding the one or on convincing everyone that the way we are ought to allow us to have that kind of just two totally wrapped up in each other. Being completely obsessed with Jesus, along with others who are obsessed with Jesus. That's the only life that enables us to live without shame. So what God? The God-man who models us on himself. What love? The love Jesus has for his bride, the church. And what you, well, everyone, together in church, let's pray.